is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Jazz fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, the London is Blue podcast. Dan, one of your hosts here. And look, if you hear me introducing it, you know it's going to be another one of our episodes with the wonderful CFC Central Sam. And this is going to be a little bit of an international break check-in, an opportunity to look at what's been happening in the Chelsea side, analyzing what's been going on on under Graham Potter. We're going to look at some of the stats behind it and just the general overall style of play. We're going to get into players maybe on the rise or struggling under Graham Potter over the last series of matches. And then we're going to look at what happens with the remainder of the season because we live in this international footballing bubble at the moment, Sam, and we had to fill the void a bit. So uh, this is you being Sam in the middle, making sure that the people had something to react to and listen and enjoy over this two-week period with no Chelsea men's match. Uh, I, I mean, any excuse to jump on a podcast with you is absolutely 100% fine with me. So I'm very happy. Uh, and uh, at, the, at the way things are going right now, I think two weeks away from Chelsea would do everybody a world of good. So I think um, it's good to have sort of like a little bit of a post-mortem in terms of how we did. Obviously, um, the last result is sort of defining our mood right now. But if you would have asked me five games ago, we win against Dortmund, we go to the next round, and then we get some one draw out of out of like four, five. I think I would have taken that. So I'm, I'm looking at it as optimistically as I always do. And uh, hopefully we'll come back refreshed with no injuries and uh, look to sort of cause havoc in the Champions League once again. Yes, or injuries that may have just sprouted up overnight. And you see Wesley Fofana pull out of international duty See Mason Mount not involved in the England squad with some debate or controversy over the legitimacy of that. Again, this just feels like wonderful usage of the Bill Belichick Patriots playbook and making sure that some of our key players do not go and get injured on international duty. But we want to thank everybody for leaving wonderful five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We always appreciate that. Haven't done it yet. Helps people find the show. We always appreciate that. And you can join us on Patreon too and uh, get access to our wonderful Discord community as well. But again, we are going to start with checking in at the break. And this is a little bit of an overview of what is or isn't working in Chelsea's approach. And Sam, I want to hit you with the overall stats and story because this is the best place, I think, to get into it. But since mid-February... Chelsea's record with eight matches played is three wins, two draws, three losses. On the positive side, we advanced in the Champions League. We beat Borussia Dortmund at home. Great to be there. Definitely the London's Blue Podcast effect. Uh, our total XG there was 4.0, but two in each game and expected goals allowed was 2.36 with 1.49 and 0.87 for Dortmund in the two matches. And then we've had some mixed results in the Premier League. Two wins against Leeds and Leicester. We had two draws against Everton and West Ham, if you can remember back to mid-February at this point, which feels so, so far away. And then two losses against Tottenham, Sy, and Southampton, who really don't seemingly want to get out of the relegation zone. So just maybe your overall reaction to Chelsea's recent run of form. Yeah, I think we've done we've done pretty well, I would say, considering the place that we were in uh, a couple of weeks ago, just struggling to put 
two good performances together, struggling to score, players out injured. At one point, we had 11 people out injured. So just recovering those players now, uh, making sure that we're trying to put certain things together, I think it is a lot more excruciating than any of us sort of predicted it would be. But I would say three wins out of four isn't bad. Obviously, our standards are way higher than this, but uh, I would take this. I would definitely use this as a launch pad to to sort of propel ourselves into better places post the international break. Obviously, a lot of things Porter can do well, a lot of things the players can do well. It's just those things that we will be focusing on today and hopefully um, we will see the results turn even to, to a better tide sort of when we, when we come back from the international break. And I'm going to be probably a little biased because I was there, but I would say the best result out of this run of form was Chelsea's home win against Dortmund. But would you have any challenge to that in saying that there's a, another result that you feel like individually stands out to you as a really good positive performance that showed you what you needed to see in terms of evolution of the side or, or growing in the right direction, going in the right direction? Yeah, I think the Dortmund result was definitely the one that that looked like it had the major galvanizing effect that we wanted to have. But again, it's the big occasions, the players motivate themselves, the tactics go out the window. So you tend to ask, how is this going to translate into the league where we've been terrible for quite some time? But um, like you said, the performance in terms of how well we attacked, you know, we managed to to keep a clean sheet and then the score twice. Um, and we created a lot of chances as well. So it, it did look like a lot of things coming together. Um, certain players that had bad games, Kukureya for once, um, Koulibaly being another sort of completely left all that bad form behind and then stepped up to the plate. So it's good to see that we're still rising to the occasion. And uh, when the occasion demands it, you know, the Chelsea DNA is still alive. I hope we can do the same when Real Madrid come here and when we go to the Santiago Bernabeu. But um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this is, you know, this is a good sign in terms of um, when when the stakes are high and when we are the underdogs, we tend to perform really well. I think we've got a young squad and a lot of them have been playing, um, you know, Champions League occasionally, infrequently. So I think they view it the same way. When they look at the opposition saying, I, I'm going to get to go to the Santiago Bernabeu and, and put in a performance. You have nothing to lose. I think that's the easiest um, pre-match talk that Graham Porter can give these players, you know? So I think um, that's something that will be definitely interesting to see how we do against Madrid and then hopefully against Bayern and City and then hopefully in the final. Well, again, five matches, three goals, none conceded, and Chelsea are putting a third star on the crest. So again, it could be as simple as that. I don't think with Chelsea, anything gets to be that simple. But before we maybe get into talking about some of the changes that helped this run of form materialize, I, I do want to talk about the Champions League draw just for a moment because, A, I don't feel like Real Madrid were excited to pull Chelsea's name out of the, out of the potential suitors or options for their matchup. And two, the supporters of Real Madrid are not happy with getting Chelsea because when you go to their subreddit and you look at what people are saying, there are definitely people who think this is a very beatable Chelsea side. And our results this season would tell you that we are beatable at times, but 
you know, Borussia Dortmund, one of the two best clubs in the Bundesliga this season. And we were able to really walk it at times. And so the point you made, Sam, like, I think we are just a bit of a different beast when it comes to what you get in Europe from this Chelsea side and what you get in the Premier League. I think there are two teams you do not want to face in the Champions League. There's Real Madrid and there's Chelsea when they're having a shit league season. So I think we are definitely in that territory. And um, yeah, I was reading some of the reactions on Twitter. It was a lot more optimistic because I think there's no Tuchel to orchestrate the kind of tactical brilliance that we saw in, in the last couple of games, last four games to be accurate. But um, yeah, I still think that, you know, we've got we've got enough artillery, we've got enough firepower to at least compete neck and neck with Real Madrid. They're not as unbeatable as they were during that Champions League run. They've had a couple of stumbles. Um, El Clasico is there in, in an hour, so we'll have to see how they perform there. I'll be very, very interested to watch. Uh, Bayern Munich lost a little earlier, so good signs already. I'm happy. <laughs> so hopefully that happens to Real Madrid as well. A little bit of a bump on the road shake their confidence a little bit and uh, gives us enough impetus to go. So um, I'm, I'm fairly confident. Like this is just saying that, you know, we've got, we've got enough tools to make a dent. So just have to grab the chances with both hands and then go out firing, not sit back and, and do the kind of pedestrian stuff that we've been doing against Everton. Just go out with nothing to lose, put in a good performance, make us proud. And um, we'll, we'll talk about the rest. Well, and one of those things that was the genesis for this run of results changing potentially inspires more confidence that Chelsea can go into Europe, can go against Real Madrid, can bring it back on the home leg with everything to play for is Potter making the decision to switch it up from the back four and go for a run of matches with the defense now being a back three going back to the wingbacks because they're healthy. We have Reese James and Ben Showell both playing together again, which is phenomenal. It's exciting. It's something we enjoy getting to see in the matches. Sam, how critical has this change been for really, and maybe how has that change impacted maybe your thoughts about like how Potter is adapting to being a manager of what typically would be a top six club club or one of the biggest teams in Europe from what he was doing previously at Brighton? I think there are a lot of people in, in the Twitter ecosphere who could probably break down the coaching nuances better than I can. But when I'm looking at it purely from a, a sort of player profiler perspective, I'm looking at him making some, some pretty interesting decisions. Um, for example, we know that Reese James, for example, come back from two back-to-back devastating injuries long-term, arguably needs to be, you know, just made sure that he doesn't have a third injury again and make sure that you make sure that he's not being as dynamic as he was when he was running, you know, for Tuchel and running the entire wing-back zone, just going in attack, going in defense, doing everything for us. So if you notice the kind of shift that we've made in the back three, you'll arguably not see him deliver the amount of crosses or deliver the amount of chances that he was creating under Dukal. So there has been a conservative decision to sort of like hold him back and maybe push him forward when and only there is a necessity to go and make a dent. Um, there are some other interesting issues that happen. Like, for example, when Enzo Fernandez was playing in the 4-2-3-1, uh, he was getting dribbled past more than any player in Europe's top five leagues. 
And uh, that sort of was a concern at Benfica as well, but they are a lot more aggressive with their pressing. So it's almost suffocating levels of pressure and making sure that the opponent does not have the chance to sort of break into transition. So when Porto looked at Enzo Fernandez getting sort of dribbled past, not having the perfect midfield partner to sit and offer him the kind of platform, I think a back three has facilitated that and, and made it easier for other players as well. Kukurea from left back, you know, wasn't doing very well, was getting dribbled past. So with just one shift, I think he's, I would say, plugged a lot of holes for now. He sort of looked at the squad and said, I think this improves the kind of um, contingency plan that, that I think would work for this team and sort of plug a lot of weaknesses. So Enzo is suddenly getting dribbled past, but we've got three centre-backs making sure that it isn't being lethal. We're also looking at Kukureya from left centre-back. You know, the way he pressed at Dortmund, the way he sort of held players back and made sure that he was tackling them and then keeping them quiet on the turn, I think that was really good to see. So there have been some, some very interesting positive changes that have come. But I do not think this is the long-term plan. Just looking at the midfielders that have been bought, just looking at the kind of strikers and then sort of like uh, wide forwards and wingers that we have in Madhuweke and Mujrik, I think the long-term formation will be somewhere around a 4-3-3 maybe. So just now, I think we're just looking at something that Tuchel did, doing what needs to be done to make this team difficult to beat, which hasn't happened for multiple reasons, which we will discuss. But uh, I think he's done he's done pretty well, like just in, in terms of making sure he, he does the bare minimum to make certain players sort of pop out and, and not get overwhelmed. Yeah, one of the changes that you pointed out with the with how Reese James is being used, you kind of look into the way he was playing at the start of the season. You kind of look at the Everton match, which was the had three key passes and then five passes into the final third. And you go look at like the match against Everton, uh, two key passes, two passes into the final third, uh, only one kind of uh, passes into the penalty area, and then you kind of see the crosses into the penalty area. Uh, he's really has not registered a single one of those uh, since he's kind of returned to full fitness. I mean, the last ones that he kind of registered was uh, the first leg of the Milan, uh, uh, the Milan Champions League draw that we had with AC Milan. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely some changes that Potter is making that it feels like he is trying to find the balance between getting the most out of the player, but also respecting that we have had not just him, but we've had Ben Chilo coming back from long-term injury and Golakande, who we still haven't had a chance to uh, see play for quite some time now at this point. And it might be at the risk of the result in the moment, but it feels like it is also the projecting forward that like this is not that his his kind of like you know livelihood that his opportunity to reside as Chelsea manager is not short term that he is playing uh, much much more of a, a long term game in terms of getting these players back up to full fitness definitely and and like we talked about Reece James I think last season when you look at his number of starts it was twenty two and he had five goals and nine assists in the league. He's made half those starts this season, but he's had one goal and one assist, which is a little outlandish for his James, I would say. So we are missing out on a lot of his attacking thrust, just the way he causes an incredible amount of, of trouble when he's close to the box, the opposition box. Um, but I think this is 
just like you said, a long-term move in making sure that we don't lose him at all, you know, not to make sure that he's sprinting over and over again and causing a lot more damage. Just make sure he gets a good season behind him, uh, gets a lot of games sort of where he's comfortable playing at a at a pretty high pace. And then maybe next season when we move to a back four, we'll see the best of him um, in his in his regular role. So like you said, I think Porter's doing a lot of things which which do point towards I'm going to be here for the long term and I want to make sure that the players understand that I'm doing what's what's good for them long term. Like Mudrik, for example, the way he's been treated. You know, he's getting one game and then he's been on the bench. So um, a lot of those criticisms have sort of baffled supporters and um, I would love to know the reasoning. But again, I'm super hesitant to comment on something that I can't see. It's a process that I'm not privy to. So I'm definitely not going to make any comments there. But um, it does suggest that he has a lot of factors that only he knows about and his coaching team knows about. And he's making decisions to make sure that they're all protected. And uh, next season is when we, when we absolutely try our best. Well, let's talk about some of the people who are playing and the performances that we can dig into. We'll get to those in just a moment, talking about maybe who's on the rise or who is struggling to adapt a little bit. But we will do so after a word from our sponsor. So we'll be right back. All right. So, Sam, I think there's a couple players that we want to chat through in terms of who is seeing a little bit of maybe a resurgence or we're all becoming aware of just how good a player potentially is when they're being put uh, in a situation to exceed and excel. And so I'd come up with a couple of players. Uh, I'd come up with one to, to you know, at least generate a template for what we, this conversation could look like. But then you came in with a few more. I'd love to start with Mark Kukurea, who a lot of people, and I think we even had the questions ourselves at certain points, like what is going on with the player we had seen at Brighton to how the transition was going at Chelsea. And in the past four appearances he had uh, against West Ham, but particularly the two matches against Dortmund, uh, or the, the substitute appearance for the first part, and then the full match where he was uh, delivered a man-in-the-match performance, according to uh, UEFA. And then the match against Leicester really saw maybe what was promised in terms of what we were investing into to bring him into the side, particularly playing as that, you know, left center back in the back three, which again, you know, was uh, a very interesting thing to see considering the number of center backs we have in this Chelsea side. And so it feels like he is one that I would kind of point out and say, he is, he's on the rise right now in terms of his performances and what Chelsea's getting out of him, what Potter's getting out of him and how he's helping the team play a more aggressive style, push forward faster, and really create more opportunities to get the ball forward for attack. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think this is sort of like poetic justice to keep him first on the list because the amount of abuse he's gone through, I mean, from the fan base, the amount of, oh my God, the amount of vitriol that has been thrown his way, it was... Uh, it wasn't nice to see. It was it was pretty heartbreaking to see how how brutally we could, you know, treat one of our own. And it's, this has happened over and over again. We've done this with Kepa. We've done this with Rudiger. They've blocked off their comments on Instagram. He did it too at one point in time. So it just it is nice to see somebody who's getting over personal adversity. Obviously, we know about the things that he went through um, behind the scenes, but he came back, and I think particularly against Dortmund, he showed what he can do as a proactive centre-back in uh, in a three-man back line. When we've watched this, this back three, I think what's interesting is 
just the amount of freedom given to to both center backs on, on the wide center backs to bomb forward and make the kind of decisions that they want to make. I think it helps to Korea. Wesley Fofana was the one who surprised me a lot because I haven't seen him play the kind of role that he's been playing for us at right centre-back. But Tukurea, sort of the qualities that he showed at Brighton, just going, making sure people aren't turning, just being this nuisance, you know, the kind of bubblegum that sticks to your head and make sure that, you know, it's a, it's sort of like incredibly difficult to, to break away from it. Uh, he's sort of like that. He's, he's the quantity of defensive duels, the quantity of interceptions, tackles that he was making also sort of took a nice jump. So it was interesting to see him come into his own at, at a position that I think he will have to sort of move away from when we get Levi Colwell next next summer. Um, this summer, sorry. So when Colwell comes back, I think Colwell and Koulibaly will probably be looking at the left centre-back role, but he will have to probably move to to competing with, with Ben Chilwell if we do not get uh, Ian Martson back. So I think he's been good. I think he can be better. Um I've seen him get dribbled past a lot, but like I've mentioned before, I think that's something that you don't really need to look at in a back three system. You know, you can afford your players to to make those mistakes because you've got a safety net behind you. It's Enzo is getting dribbled past the same amount he was getting past in, in Benfica. And, um, you know, he's dealing with it absolutely fine. I think the freedom that it's gifted him is making him, you know, the kind of swashbuckling long pass machine that we've seen in midfield. And I think the same with Kukureya. So uh, very good to see. I think um, it's been nice to have him back. Um, understandably did not play against Everton because we needed height against set pieces. But uh, yeah, hopefully he can be as key with us when when we go into the Champions League and uh, have to mark quicker players uh, dropping between lines. Well, considering that his start was with Barcelona, I'm sure that the Real Madrid fans will give him plenty of warm welcomes uh, when he makes his return to Spain. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, he's Catalan. It's pure Catalan. I think he lives in Alea, which is a small village 10 kilometers from Barcelona. So he's, he's as Catalan as you can get. So the rivalry is definitely going to be there. I think he's going to be pumped up and uh, hopefully helps us progress. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens, especially because we don't have Badi Ashil in, in, in the Champions League squad. He will be critical. So another one that you put in, because again, I gave you one and then you ran with the rest. I would have said, I just feel like this is the, an individual continuing to be great, but you said on the rise. So I have to ask, Enzo Fernandez, is it just the fact that he has basically walked into the Premier League and kept on doing what he's been doing? I would say yes, that's one factor, but I think it's, it's also that we haven't seen the best of him, you know, to be very honest. From the games that I watched at Benfica, um, he's actually playing on the right-hand side. You know, Corba is the one who's playing on the left. And this might be a flawed opinion. This is just something from personal observation. But I think Fernandez looks best when he's playing on the left-hand side. He's got incredible angles to make the kind of passes that, that we need to set off runners. He's got some amazing through balls from deep where he can open his body up and he can he can unleash Ben Chilwell or Joao Felix or whoever it is that's playing on the left-sided attacking road. We haven't seen that on the right so much. The good thing, the most incredible thing is he looks like he's absolutely at home there. It's just he's come into a team that has been struggling in an engine room that has lacked the kind of thrust, um, lacked the kind of influence uh, for the longest time. And he's looked absolutely dominant. You know, like we've got this visualization in front of him. Most touches this season per 90, 107. That's, that's pretty a damning indictment of how sort of 
he's become the fulcrum of this side. Everything creative goes to him. He's also managing the most amount of progressive passes in the Premier League with 10.3. So always looking forward. There was this hilarious clip, uh, which I was sort of like noticed where in one of the games, Trevor Chalobah was asking him to pass back and Enzo just turned around and spanked a 60-meter ball to the right-hand side. And I was like, this is it, you know, this is what all of all of us have been starving for. So it's it's incredible to see somebody as fearless as him, somebody who wants to take the game by the scruff of the neck. And uh, I said on the rise because I think he gets even better. It's just a, a testament to the fact that he's come into a, a league where a lot of people said he would struggle. He's looked at home and he still doesn't have the kind of defensive partner he needs. And I think once that happens, uh, we will see even better things. And then another one, which I don't feel like is a surprise if you step back and think about it, but it's maybe due to the fact that we're just getting, or maybe that the narrative was that, well, you could potentially see another big club coming in for him in the summer, but I don't see how you could ever consider letting him go is Ben Chilwell, who uh, not only getting back into the starting lemon for Chelsea, but in plenty of fantasy Premier League teams at the moment, and just creating so many chances for this Chelsea side. And he's really fulfilled maybe what Reese was doing at a higher velocity last season. So it's almost like they've kind of changed the balance of who's trying to do more from an attacking and defending standpoint. Yeah, I think he's the biggest beneficiary of a Reese James sort of getting a more conservative role where he's not quite bombing forward. So the impetus now is shifted to him to try and make those kind of runs. Obviously, he's also providing a lot of wide support to, to Felix or whoever it is who's playing on the left side. Sterling sometimes comes there. Um, so Mudrik, for example, could be somebody who benefits a lot from having Chilwell right next to him. It's also, you know, Enzo moving to the right-hand side. We usually saw at Benfica the other way around. When he used to play on the left-hand side, he would turn and he would hit a diagonal to the right-hand side, to, to the right winger or the right wing back. And I think this is sort of flipped Maybe a reason why Enzo Fernandez has moved right. Try and shift the ball to, to Ben Chilwen and isolate him there. So it's sort of left him with, with a lot of the chance creating burden. And I think he's coped very well. Uh, he's created more chances than anyone else in our last game. I think with anyone, again, like more than anyone else on the pitch against Everton. That was four chances. And uh, the numbers have been interesting because I was expecting him to come back a little slower to try and, and see if we could manage his workload and then sort of rotate. Now that we have a good depth option in Kukurea, uh, with on the right-hand side, you don't have that because Gusto has not really come to the club. But uh, the way he's recovered from his injury, the dynamism, the pace that he had before getting injured, he's looked almost close to that level before he got injured, which is very encouraging to see. So, so I was just crunching a little bit of numbers and I saw that since his first start back from injury, only Havertz has created more chances than, than Chilwell. So Havertz has 16 and Chilwell has 13. And only five Chelsea players have created more chances than Chilwell this season. And all of them have played more than a thousand minutes. Chilwell has 940. So you can see how much we've missed in terms of just that attacking thrust on the left-hand side. You can see he's he's so good at making those runs and making sure that he's always breaking his neck to move forward. Um, he's got good deliveries on him. You can see the, the quality difference in our corners and, and our set pieces as well. He's been changed as the as the primary corner taker. Mount is not playing. And, and he's put in some really, really good deliveries, which I think merited a lot more goals than, than he has right now. So... Um, 
I think it's it's been fantastic. He's on the rise. I think he gets fitter, he gets sharper, he gets quicker. And um, maybe, maybe if Mudrik gets a chance to, to run amok, then um, it's going to be a good partnership to watch. Well, we will see if they have the chance to work together to put the opposition in the mud. But we'll talk, continue to talk about players who are on the rise. And the uh, last one that you had called out here which to me makes a lot of sense because he's one goal away from tying his best contribution for Chelsea in a Premier League season currently at seven goals with one assist. And so he is three goals plus assists away from matching his, also his best uh, goal plus assist contribution for Chelsea in a Premier League season. But this is the silky German Kai Averts who has found a little bit of a new lease on life after some tactical changes from Graham Potter to allow the runners of Felix or Sterling or Mudrik to advance beyond him and allow him to get a little bit of that late run in or just drop a little bit deeper to kind of get that attack moving forward. So in general, I feel like we're starting to see what initially had been promised that had been maybe disrupted a bit to the fact that he transitioned from, you know, Germany into a new country. He obviously dealt with a, a long COVID situation, which really stunted his ability to kind of make an initial impact at the club. And so, yeah, I think, Sam, this is the right time. This is the right season to understand what do we have with Kai Havertz? Because maybe three months ago, six months ago, the question was going to be, would he ever make it at Chelsea? Would he be able to rise to the occasion? Again, not playing down his importance in the Champions League and Chelsea having their second Champions League trophy. But the question was going to be is, could he do it? Could he offer a sustained form that Chelsea could rely upon, not just in Europe, but in the Premier League? And we're starting to see that there might we might have finally figured out the position and the way to get the most out of it. For certain, I think... Uh, previous managers have had an idea in terms of how to play him or they had, I think, a certain understanding of what was required from Harvard. Like if if we look at Lampard, for example, uh, there were games where he played him as a number eight. And I think that was the understanding that he functions best when he arrives from late. And he's done that at, at, at uh, Leverkusen as well, where his manager kept him as a number eight next to his best friend, Julian Brandt, who played against him when he was playing for Dortmund. And you could see the kind of sequences that uh, that uh, Leverkusen sort of used. It was him distributing the ball wide, Braun sort of moving to the wider channels, and then Howard's arriving late at the edge of the box to finish. So when you look at that skill set, he wasn't really well equipped to go up against Premier League centre-backs. He wasn't really equipped at shooting when under pressure. So a lot of the times when he shoots, you can see if there's somebody applying a little bit of pressure, it throws him off balance. So a lot of his skill sets from that time were sort of underdeveloped, I would say. And there were a lot of attempts to try and figure out what does this guy need in the system or with his teammates. Tuchel, for example, played him in a front two um, along with Romelu Lukaku, also played him behind Lukaku in, in the 3-4-2-1. So there have been a lot of solutions to try and figure out what has been done. And I think what Potter has done really well is to try and figure out, okay, if we can pin the defensive line with the player, can we bring the best out of him? And and that's exactly what has happened. So the tweak has been just 
using Raheem Sterling or using Kyle Mudrik or even Joao Felix at, at, at the weekend against Everton to be the guy who's pushing those centre-backs back and making sure that they don't come on Harvards. And then you make sure that Kai has the ability to, to receive between lines and he can make those decisions as to where to give the ball and when to arrive. And I think that's very important um, in the way that he play, plays. He's, he's, his numbers have shot up. You know, he looks like he's he's having fun. His short quantity has gone up. It looks like um, this is the role that he wanted to play all along. And I think we found it. It's just, um, I think we can use it better. I think if you give him a, a proper number nine to play off, you know, somebody who's constantly occupying the centre-backs, you know, it'll be very interesting to see next season, which also ties in into, you know, what kind of centre-forward do we need? Like, do we need a centre-forward? So, um, yeah, I was looking at the numbers for Harvard. It was it was very interesting, you know. It, for example, he's taken 14 shots in three games since he was moved into his new role. So that's about 4.6 per 90 minutes. And the season average has been 2.3. I think throughout his Chelsea career, he's had less, around 2.1 or something. And he's suddenly doubled his shots per 90 in a small sample size. And um, the chances that he's created, you know, if he maintains this, this current rate of chance creation, um, he will end this season with more chances created than his previous two seasons at Chelsea combined. So it just tells you the kind of role that has played into giving him a little more confidence, a little more room to try and maneuver um, and manufacture space and exploit it. And um, it's good. It's good not to see him as a static number nine, because when you do see him in those positions, you can still see nuances of where he lacks, like headers, for example, at Everton, I think, like we were mentioning before we went on the podcast, that he missed two headers uh, against Everton. You've also seen the kind of finishes that he goes for. It's it's a dinked finish, you know, not too much power. It's the kind of passes that he used to play when he was linking up with people, when defenders came charging at him and he would just dink the ball over their legs. And I think that's unconsciously tied into his finishing, where he's constantly trying to do that with the goalkeeper who's charging at him. You know, but a keeper uses their hands, so it's not going to work out. So I think those things have sort of like been relegated to the background and... And his work rate, his application, his ability to play anywhere has been praised by Graham Porter. So I think he's been figured out very well and it's benefited the team in, in the run that we've had. Well, we can't all be sunshine and rainbows because, again, Chelsea are not advancing up the table at the rate we would like to see. Chelsea are not dominating uh, the, the opposition. And so one of the ones that we said maybe is struggling just a touch is looking in the goalkeeper position. And so Keppa has definitely received a lot of praise at parts of the season for his contributions. And there are definitely been a few games where he has saved us and also maybe statistically has put himself into a position to be one of seen as one of the better goalkeepers in the league. But I I would point to the fact that maybe there's some inconsistency in decision making as well as the command of the box, particularly on set pieces, is a major risk considering where Chelsea have been conceding goals <laughs> um, and, and, and will continue to struggle to do so. And you can accept that risk and try to mitigate around it, or you have to kind of figure out what the path forward is. And so, Sam, I think there's some question marks still about the future of the goalkeeping position beyond this season, but Kepa maybe needs a little bit of a confidence boost heading into 
the run in these last you know, 11 Premier League games and hopefully five Champions League games. I don't know if you have this thing in the US, Dan, where you say the first impressions are last impressions. Um, but, you know, yeah, so I think that plays a lot into the perception of, of Kepa. I think he's obviously had a very, very bad season, came with a, with a hefty, hefty price tag, also had a lot of off-field issues and, and obviously the infamous Sari episode. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty a pretty um, infamous start to life at Chelsea. I would say it was uh, you know goalkeeper supposed to be low key. You know you're not supposed to make any errors. You're not supposed to make anything that that goes out of hand. Um, but yeah, it's just that thing. It's just that he's made some high profile mistakes. Obviously, when you look at the error versus Manchester City, where there was a cross and he just didn't claim it, let it go. And, and there was a tap in for the Manchester City player. Um, and obviously against Everton, I think he was at fault for, for both goals. And, and I would say partly at fault for both goals. So it's just that. It's just he does not radiate the kind of confidence that you want from your goalkeeper. And obviously when you're looking at his command of the box, like you said, when he comes out for crosses... Also, all of those things are also dependent on on confidence and, and his ability to come forward. Against Everton, you could see he was overawed. He just stayed on his line, tried to utilize his shot stopping to, to make sure nothing happened and, and we paid heavily for it. So, there have been some good numbers. I've seen um, a lot of people say, oh, he's had 85% safe percentage. And, and obviously, you don't use safe percentage to talk about how good a goalkeeper is. He's also prevented 3.5 goals this season, which is the fourth best in the league. It's just keeper that's that expensive and number one you want him to be rock solid throughout you know you need to need him, need him to be the kind of voice of reason that that makes sure that the rest of your backline has the confidence it needs i also think he's he also goes through a lot of undue criticism which is now a norm if you're a chelsea player um you know obviously when you talk about the kind of mistakes that that lead to him sort of conceding when you look at last night koulibaly messed up his 1v1 Kepa should be saving that, but we should never have been in that situation in the first place. So I would say that it's a cause and effect relationship, um, but a better keeper, uh, a stronger keeper, a more assured keeper would do better in those situations. He's not a bad keeper. Um, people have been extremely brutal with their criticism. Again, it's their opinion, but I wouldn't be as brutal and say that, but I would say, you know, we could get a world-class number one. If we had the money to spend, we could definitely get a better upgrade. With all due respect. Do, do you have a name or at least a type of goalkeeper you might go after? You don't have to give a name if that, we want to save that for a recruiting pod this summer. Yeah, so I was actually looking at Mike Magnon from, from AC uh. Milan. He was actually a very, very good keeper, but then he had a pretty bad injury. He missed one game against us um, and, and Tata Rosanu came in. I think he missed both games against us. Tata Rosanu came um, as AC Milan's goalkeeper. So he's somebody that I really, really you know admired. He's very good shot stopper, very impressive. Also was in the France squad, but couldn't go to the World Cup. Um, then I was also looking at Diogo Costa from Porto, who looks very good with his kicking. He looks like he's an excellent ball-playing goalkeeper. I was hoping his World Cup showing sort of dipped his price a little bit because he had a horror World Cup. Uh, but apparently he has a release clause, so that doesn't make a difference, does it? <laughs> no. So I think those two names are... are ones that we need to keep an eye on. We've also been linked with Gregor Kobel, who's been who's been very good for, for Dortmund. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Swiss goalkeepers somehow tend to be very, very good. So, Jan Sommer was one and Kobel 
has also been doing well. So, uh, but apparently there's no release clause there. There's so Dortmund are free to negotiate a price. I think he has a deal till 2026. So um, could be one to watch. I think those three keepers are the ones I'm looking at. The more easier one would be David Raya, who's apparently on on a at the end of his deal, so would be available on a free. Uh, but is he the upgrade that we need? I don't think so. I think he's very good with his feet. He's a good shot stopper, but not the kind of you know goalkeeper I say like, wow, you know, we've sorted at the back for the next ten years. Well, we'll save it for more in-depth analysis as we get closer to the end of the season and the start of the summer transfer window. But that's going to wrap it up for players on the rise, maybe opportunity, individuals. But we're going to take one last break and then we're going to get to what do we need to see in April? What are the things that we're looking for once the Premier League and the Champions League return? So we'll be right back after we're from these sponsors. All right, Sam. So what comes next? I had a couple of questions here. We can kind of run through them just in terms of a a quick reaction to it. But I just said that there's two different things to look at. There's the Premier League and the Champions League. Two different competitions, two different end goals. My first question, and using the data point here that there's a 74% probability from 538 that Chelsea finish somewhere between 7th and 10th in the table, is the Premier League a free hit for the rest of the season. I would say so. I would say definitely say so. I don't think we're dropping lesser than 10th or 11th with the way the season's going. So I think now is the time to experiment more than anything else. I, you should probably treat this as an extended preseason, just a lo- little more competitive version and, and try to include players that are part of your long-term plan. So no more hiding Mudrik and, and Matuweke away saying, you know, young players from a different league need to adapt no you know just let them make their mistakes let them get those those jitters out of the way make sure that they're ready for you know preseason and after that get to the to the new season and hit the ground running i think that's the way that we should be looking at it um he's protected the players a lot and and i can respect that you know we we don't want to throw these young talents at the deep end especially when we don't have you know any reason to we don't have any critical fixtures say, accept the Champions League. So maybe he wants to take his time. He wants to do some tactical work behind the scenes. Once he's happy with it, then he will allow those players to go on. But I would say use this. Use this as as a chance to create your blueprint and uh, see where it takes you. Because it, it's still not a certainty that he will have a job, you know, come preseason. I would say that. I, I still feel like the owners might reconsider if we end up 10th and, and there is no sort of plan or no visible change in in a philosophy or a solid set blueprint for what we want to do next season. Sure. Yeah, we we were directional headers and Jordan Pickford just finding, I don't know, a little bit of an arm extender away from Chelsea beating Everton and can making us consider that, you know, this run is the the start of the 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 true revolution. When you look at the probabilities, just because people might ask the question, well, what are our probabilities of finishing fourth? Right now, it's less than 1%, fifth, 2%, six, 5%. And so seven is where it starts hitting the double digits in 10% for seven, 20% for eight, 23% for ninth, 21% for 10th, and 15% for 11th. And I think the thing to keep in mind is as much as this is our probability, it is factored against that other teams have more points, other teams actually have a game in hand, and 
we can't necessarily fully rely on every team to just give us the, you know, roll out the red carpet to help us get back into the Champions League via a top four finish. So, um, you know, it might be something where, you know, we could press in for a conference league spot so we could go add a brand new trophy to Chelsea's catalog of them uh, or potentially try to push for a Europa spot. But they are getting harder and harder to come by given the rise of other teams playing extremely well and uh, maybe having a bit of a head start on a point perspective to us. And so I would I would say, you know, I would say 538 is mathematics of convenience. You know, when I, I was frantically... <laughs> I was frantically watching the odds for our Premier League qualification in, in the Champions League winning season. I was watching how much we're going to, you know, what are the odds in terms of us winning the Champions League? They had us like in single digits and they conveniently kept boosting it to like 40, 50. I'm like, you're not supposed to do that. If you've said 4% at the beginning of the season, stick to that. You're not supposed to, do even, even like four mathematicians like me can do shit like that. It's not allowed, you know? <laughs> so tell me right now, and stick with it. Don't say 15% 11th. If you think we're ending on 10th or 9th, give it 100% and get it done with. Well, they also have us with the the Champions League of a 36% probability of making the semifinals, 9% making the final, and 4% winning the final, which Same is... Same as last time, Dan. Same as same last, as last time. time. Again, <laughs> that, that, that is why we have some why not us energy in at least the Champions League. But I think a couple of qu things that you mentioned, obviously giving some players an opportunity to shine. I think the one question that I had that you didn't maybe, or a player you didn't touch on, we started to see a little bit more of Gaga Slonina on the socials. Do you think he maybe gets at least one, so over one start between now and the end of the season? I did see him play an academy game. I was watching him. He actually managed to make some some really good saves. I think it was the Arsenal game. I'm not sure. But he made some couple of good saves. But he also had a couple of shaky moments where he saved the ball and he dropped it in, in the crowded penalty area. We have to, again, factor in that just like all the other younger players, he's also at a very delicate point in his career. Making the jump from MLS to, to the Premier League for a club like Chelsea is obviously incredibly difficult. And more so for a goalkeeper, where confidence is like the elixir that boosts all your stats. So, you know, a bad goalkeeper can look extremely bad and a good goalkeeper can perform above their average mean level of performance. So, I would say it has to be carefully managed. Maybe if you find the right game where you're, say, probably coming up against the worst scorers in the league, if you're looking up against a, a team that probably wouldn't threaten as much, then I would say give him a try. Make sure that he gets again like those jitters and and so up those nerves out of the way and and let him get a feel of of the shirt. You know, I would love to see him. There. I think uh, the fact that Real Madrid were after him says a lot about how highly rated he is. But Real Madrid were also after Kepari Balaga, so we have to be careful. We have to be definitely careful in terms of how he is. I I guess if you were going to do it, the three matches you probably consider doing it are. The Wolves match away. Wolves, yeah. Wolves would be my pick for sure. <laughs> Wolves, Wolves away. Uh, you have Bournemouth away, and then you have Forest at home. And the, that that Forest one is the third to last match of the season. The Bournemouth one is Bournemouth uh, going to be nasty. Then write it down. Bournemouth's going oh. to be nasty. Uh, don't I don't say that. Don't they, don't plant they, negative they, energy in people's heads, Sam, as we no, round up this know, episode. I just said it, <laughs> I just said it's going to be nasty because you know they have some very quick white players. I love Dan Gotara. I mean, I, I watched him at Lorient and and he was amazing. The fact that he ended up at Bournemouth, 
Um, you know, I think it's very good for him because he's playing under little pressure. He knows the team is in trouble, but he's been very exciting to watch. So, um, will be interesting. I would say it's a, it's a tough, tougher game than people realize, but like Wolves would be definitely my pick for Slovenia, 100%. All right. So, and the last thing I think that you had with your kind of opportunities or things that you wanted to see is potentially around the just the game control and reducing the number of shots that Chelsea are allowing. And so I think part of that is possession, but also part of it is just, uh, you know, turnovers and dispossessing other players on the pitch, really, you know, making sure that we're not letting players get into the the final third to make it happen. Uh, so that was like the one other last thing that you really wanted to see in the Premier League. Yeah, for sure. Because <clears throat> when I was looking at the numbers, um, 53 shots conceded in the past four games. And that's all double digits. Um, this is against Leeds, Everton, Leicester. So three of them in the Premier League. I mean, this is this, these are horrific numbers. Let's be very, very honest. Uh, when you're playing a back three, when you're playing, you know, a slightly more um, defensive setup, you know, out of possession, you wouldn't want your opponent to have that much threat on goal. The fact that we allowed double digits to Everton is, is quite frankly shameful. And I think a lot of that comes from the adaptation period that we're trying to do. We've moved from a far too passive, I would say, approach uh, to attacking and then a little more, not a little more, extremely lean towards, you know, keeping the ball. And obviously Tuchel wanted to prioritize control over everything else, you know, and that's why we won the Champions League. We kept the ball away from, from teams that could damage us and we reaped dividends. So I think that will be extremely key in terms of making sure that the other opposition can't hurt us. If you give the ball to the likes of Bayern and City, they will pump us out of the Champions League. There is absolutely no doubt. So where is the control? And, you know, where, how are we learning to manage these game states? Like when we go 1-0 up, you know, what are the strategies we're doing? Can we keep the ball away from, from our opponents? I don't see that as of now. I think we get a little jittery. We keep trying to play transition ball over and over again. We keep trying to, you know, push the ball forward, which is great because you're trying to chase goals. But you also need to have an alternative strategy where you can just keep the ball away from dangerous players. And I think that's uh -huh. something that helped us a lot under Tuchel. And it's something that Graham Porter desperately needs to develop um, with our side as well. It just uh, has to be more controlled, has to be more measured. We have to be mature if you want to win the Champions League again. All right, and then in the Champions League, so I think one of the things that I would say is uh, just, you know, Gola Conte, it'd be nice to give him some time to play in the Premier League. Mummify him. I would say mummify him. Just wrap him in bandages, like, all over. You know, put him inside, like, a very plush coffin and just transport him wherever he needs to go. It's just do that 100%. Look, he's, he's not... He's not in the call-up for the France squad, so we, we've done the best we can in terms of trying to make no, sure you know that... What, you know what happened, Dan? I think Dante just told Wesley Fofana, brother, just, just tweak your hamstring. You know, just fall <laughs> off the stairs or something. Or let's just forge a report and send it to Didier Deschamps saying, you know what, something happened. Or maybe he heard a podcast. You know, he heard a, like, Everton preview and just said, you know, I'm not going to France. Nope, I'm not going this time. So hopefully that's that's just a minor thing like Raheem Sterling and, yeah. and he'll come back soon, yeah. So obviously saving Angola Conte's best for the Champions League, top priority. But I think you rightly highlight that we have a fair number of players who could be suspended in the second leg. It is after this round where the cards would be reset and the suspensions would be uh, opened back up again in terms of card accumulation. So we have a, a fair number of 
I would say some critical players who might be at risk of not being able to play the return leg at Sanford Bridge. Absolutely. Koulibaly, Reese James, Thiago Silva, Mikhailo Mudrik, who's had some cracking performances versus Real, by the way. Um, Enzo Fernandez and Conor Gallagher are all at risk of missing the second leg. And I think if they get a yellow in the second leg, then they miss the semi also. Doesn't that happen? I thought they reset after this this but like, I think it was like if you make the semifinals and all the yellow cards oh please, yeah gosh. so I think we have to be careful we'll be on tight ropes for two games um, so I think it has to be very very carefully managed I think somebody like um, Phil can probably tell us a little bit more in terms of whether that happens or whether it's just one game that we need to be extra cautious but uh, yeah I mean we don't have Badia Shil um, KK is on on um, a yellow and then Reese James is on a yellow as well as silver. So we're going to definitely, you know, be be under trouble if, if one of those two gets yellow carded. Obviously, Silva and, and KK probably not going to play together, which is a little bit of a comfort. But Enzo, my my word, we haven't rested him at all. We haven't, we've started him every game. You know, we've used him like a bar of soap and scrubbed him down to like bare bones. So I'm worried. You know, I don't want to see a, a Kante and Loftus cheek, you know, rock up to the Bernabeu. Nobody wants that. So, so fingers crossed, and and hopefully we we can keep him quiet. Well, that is a, a good thing to do as well. I, I like the one that you call out here with Mikhailo Mudrik being a standout performer versus Real Madrid. A little bit of an X factor. I think we need his best impression of Timo Werner against Real Madrid to really stretch that side and force them into positions that they do not want their defense to be in because he has that blistering pace that Real Madrid do not like to compete against when it comes to defending those type of attackers. Yeah, I saw him actually at... Um, I saw all four of his games against Real Madrid. So when I was scouting him, I went through all those games and he actually got like the standing ovation from the Bernabeu. He was that good. You know, when he was getting subbed, he walked through the Real Madrid section and everybody was applauding him because he was that good. And um, yeah, Rudiger was sweating bullets on some of those runs. You know, and you rarely see Rudiger get a little frazzled during a game, but he was shouting at defenders saying, who's marking him? And, you know, why are you not sort of making sure that this guy is kept quiet? And I think if you keep him against the likes of an aging Danny Carvajal or somebody, I think, you know, that's that's an incredibly nice, effective weapon to have against uh, on the left-hand side for us. So um, prime him, I would say, just prepare him for those games. Make sure that he has all the confidence he needs. You know, uh, put a Shakhtar shirt under the Chelsea one, if that helps, and just, just send him on his way. Oh, and then the last one you had was just making sure that Mendy is primed as well and that he is available as a consideration. Yeah, I was watching, our, you know, I get nostalgic at times, and I was watching our Champions League journey uh, to the top and the saves that he made against Benzema. Oh my God, those those are some really cracking saves against Real Madrid. And uh, yeah, if if we are to have a lot more assurance, I know he's gone through a very very rough patch where you know he also cost us the game last time. You know, without his error, we probably would have would have gone on for for another appearance at the summit. But um, yeah, hopefully if he if he can get a little bit of confidence back, I, I, at this point in time, I'm guessing he must be raring to go you know, to try and make. An impression. I don't know how his contract talks affect his mindset, but um, yeah, it's going to be a dilemma for Porto to decide, you know, what he's going to do about the goalkeeping system. Well, 
we have talked a fair bit and we would love to hear from you. We want to hear how you enjoy this episode. We want to hear what you want us to talk about next. We did ask the universe. And so there are a couple things that uh, Sam and I will be working on as we head through the remainder of the season and into April when the Chelsea men's team return. But uh, Sam, that's going to do it for this one uh, so that we can break and uh, watch a little bit more football because that's what we do. Absolutely. I think uh, it'll be nice to shift my focus elsewhere. Obviously, I'm going to spend the international break catching up on on how our players are doing on duty. So you and I will probably do an episode as to maybe Kukurea getting his first Spain start, maybe a lot of other players getting some nice opportunities. But yeah, lots of football to watch. Uh, probably a future London's Blue special with uh, strikers and midfielders that could possibly arrive at Stamford Bridge. So I'll be busy and uh, hopefully we'll make a summer That'll be you know, highly awaited and hopefully get the right players in. Well, we shall see. Uh, best of luck uh, trying to keep track of every player getting an opportunity in international duties over the next week or two. But that's going to do for this one. So wonderful spending time with you again, listeners. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.